Oh, beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, when children are little, they depend on their parents for everything. You think of your children who've just been baptized. As parents, you have to do everything for them. You have to feed them, you have to change them, and so on. Without you, without someone to, to care for, to look after them, they, they wouldn't survive, would they? They'd eventually die. They'd, they'd really be without hope. That's true of little children without parents, without someone to care for them. But it's also true of all of us without God. Spiritually speaking, without God, we, we as fallen sinners have no hope spiritually. That becomes very clear when you read the first 11 chapters of, of Genesis. After Adam and Eve's fall into sin, what happened? The world got worse and worse and worse. It got so bad. People became so wicked that in Genesis 6, we're even told that the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. And then he sent the flood, didn't he? And he destroyed all of humanity in his judgment, in his righteous judgment, except for Noah and his family. And then it started over again, didn't it? After the flood, what happened? Again, the world got worse and worse. The people, in it, we read in, in, in Genesis chapter uh, 11, that the people began to, they, they, they proudly set themselves against God and they, they built this big tower, a tower of, of, the Tower of Babel, to make a name for themselves in you know, opposition to God. And of course, God, we know, He stopped that. He, he came down and He confused their language. But, but what these 11 chapters of Genesis show us that so very clearly, congregation, is that sin has thoroughly corrupted us. It shows us that by nature, we are both unwilling and unable to be reconciled with our Creator, God, whom we have offended. It shows us that our only hope is if God sovereignly intervenes in grace. And that is exactly what happens in our text for this morning. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 9. God sovereignly intervenes in his mercy and grace. He comes with his gospel call to a man named Abram, a descendant of Noah, of, of Noah's son, Shem. That, that's what this passage is about. But, but you might ask, well, what is this passage here for? Why is it in the Bible? Well, think about, think about the people of Israel in Egypt and then in the wilderness. That's primarily who Moses was writing uh, Genesis 4. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what would have been the purpose of this event, this account of God's call to their forefather Abraham for those people? The people of Israel, when they were still serving as slaves in Egypt or when they were trudging through the wilderness, it would have been to urge and to encourage them to follow the Lord in faith and obedience, believing His promises, especially for them, His promise to give them the land of Canaan. And that's really its, its purpose for us too, is it's to urge and to encourage us to follow the Lord in faith and obedience, believing His promises, His promises of salvation. You see, that's what God's call to Abram is ultimately all about. Yes, it had real and an earthly significance for Abram and for Israel, 
but it ultimately pointed beyond that. As the passage we read from Hebrews 11 makes clear. It ultimately pointed to God's call in the gospel and his promises in the gospel, his promises of salvation. The promise that we just witnessed being signed and sealed to your dear children. And one of the purposes of this account of the Lord's call to Abraham then is this, to call, to urge, and encourage us all, young and old, to follow the Lord in faith and obedience, believing that promise, believing the gospel promise that signed and sealed in their baptism and, and in the baptism of those of us who have been baptized. It's revealed in his word to all of us. And so with God's help, we'll consider this passage under the theme, the Lord's gospel call to Abraham. We'll see, first of all, the radical action he commands. Secondly, the great blessing he promises. And thirdly, the believing response he secures. Well, Abram, Genesis 11 tells us that Abram was living in Ur of the Chaldees, which was in Mesopotamia. Think of Mesopotamia was this kind of a fertile crescent area. You have the Mediterranean Sea here. The land of Canaan is here. Ur is over here. So each on the bottom kind of of the, the, the fertile crescent. And that's where, there, where Abraham lived, where he grew up. Uh, and then we read in Genesis 11 that Abram's father Terah took Abram and Lot, Terah's grandson, and Abram's wife Sarai to go to the land of Canaan. But then they stopped and they dwelt in Haran. Haran was at the top of the, the fertile crescent. Now why did he do that? Well, in Genesis 12 verse 1, we're, we're told why that happened. Why they moved from Ur. Look at what it says in Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. The Lord here calls Abraham to leave everything. His homeland, his extended family, his, even his closest relatives, and move. But he doesn't even tell them where to go at that time. He just says, leave everything and go to a land I will show you. Do you see the radical action he's commanding Abraham? He's commanding nothing less really than a life of repentance and faith in him. And that's exactly what he calls us to in the gospel, isn't it? A life of repentance and faith. You see, Abraham, he didn't worship God before this. He was like everyone else. He worshipped idols. Now, it doesn't say that in Genesis 12, but if you go to Joshua 24, verse 2, it says there that Joshua is speaking to the people of Israel, and he says to them this, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time. The flood there refers to the Euphrates River. Even Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. So Abraham didn't worship the Lord. He didn't know the Lord. He grew up in a family, in a home that worshipped idols, false gods. But then all of a sudden, the Lord came in his sovereign grace. The God of glory appeared to him, Stephen says in Acts 7, as he tells the story. And, and, and he came and he appeared to Abraham and told him to get himself out, to leave everything, to leave it all. And not just for a while, not just for a few moments, not just for a few months or even for a few years, but for good. Can you imagine having to do that? 
Some of us have moved from another part of Canada or from a country overseas like, like Holland. And we can maybe understand a little of what, what, what a big thing this was for Abraham. But, but most of us can and, and maybe do go back to visit once in a while. And even if we don't, we can still keep up our connections to our family, to our friends, through email, through text, through Facebook, FaceTime, whatever. But Abraham didn't have that. God was commanding Abraham essentially to cut, to completely sever all his ties to home and family. For Abraham, God's command was really a command to leave his old life completely behind with all of its idol worship and to begin a new life, a life of serving God. It was a command to live a life of Radical repentance, because that's what really re repentance is all about, isn't it? It's about leaving our old way of life, the way of sin and of unbelief behind and beginning a brand new life, a life of following the Lord in faith and obedience. That's what God commands in the gospel. He commands us to repent. He commands us to live a life of repentance. And it doesn't mean we have to move away from our homes and families like Abraham. But it does mean that you and I, we must leave. We must forsake the way of sin, the way of unbelief, the way of dis disobedience. We must turn away from idols and we must follow the Lord. That's God's command in the gospel, not just to people out there, not just to people in the world, not just to people in the mission field, but to you and to me and to our children. That's the call. That's the call he makes. That's the call we could witness being made even through baptism. You see, being born and raised congregation in a Christian home and being baptized in the church doesn't automatically make us followers of God. It doesn't automatically make us Christians. It doesn't change us by nature. We're no different than Abraham before God called him. By nature, you and I are idolaters and sinners from the beginning of our lives. We don't serve God. That's the inclination of our hearts. We serve sin. We're inclined to serve Satan. We're inclined to serve ourselves. We need to be personally born again. We need to be personally converted. We need to personally repent and live a life of repentance. That's what God calls us to. Every single one of us in the gospel. That's what he's calling us also to this morning. He's calling you, he's calling me to completely sever our ties with sin and with Satan and with every idol God, no matter how dear it may be to us, to leave it all for good and to follow him. He calls us to live a life of repentance. Congregation, there's no salvation without repentance. We're not saved because of repentance, but there's no salvation without it. We cannot sit on the fence. We cannot have one foot in sin and expect to be saved. Just as God commanded Abraham to forsake Ur and his family there for good. So God commands us in the gospel to forsake sin and to put it to death. I ask you this morning, I ask myself, is this what we're doing? Are we seeking to forsake sin and unbelief and to put it to death? Or is there a sin in your life that you're seeking to hold on to? that you're not willing to, to let go of. God commands a life of repentance. 
But not only that, he also commands a life of faith. He told Abraham not only to get out from his country and, and family, but he said, get out or go unto a land that I will show thee. That was a call to faith. God, he didn't tell Abraham where to go. He just told him to leave and, and go to a land he would show him. And that meant that Abraham had to go out not knowing, as it says in Hebrews 11 verse 8, where he went, where he was going. He had to trust God completely. He had to live by faith. Again, can you imagine that? Imagine, children, your parents told you that we're moving. What's the first thing you want to know when, if your parents would tell you that? You, you want to know where? Where are we moving, Mom? Dad? But imagine your parents said, well, we don't know. We're just going to sell our house. We're going to pack up and we're going to start driving. You probably think you're crazy. But that's basically what the Lord told Abram to do. He basically told him to just start walking or riding his camel or his donkey or whatever and said, I'll show you where to go. Trust me. That's what he's commanding. What he was commanding Abram. God was commanding Abram to put his trust completely in him for a better country, for a new land. And that's his command to us as well in the gospel. You see, he commands us not just to forsake sin, not just to live a life of repentance, but also to live a life of faith in him. He commands us to put our trust in him completely for a new land, for a new home. In this world, we, it's in, the, in our form, in the prayer we, we, we prayed this life is nothing but a continual death. That's what this world is. You don't have to look far to see that, to experience that. But God's command to us in the gospel, his call in the gospel to us, is, to, is not only to leave, to get out of, to forsake this world and the way of sin, but to go also to the land that he will show us, the land of heaven, the land of the new creation. It's a command to a life of repentance and faith in him. What are you doing? Congregation, what are you doing with that call? Are you trusting in Him? Are you following Him? Maybe you say it's not so easy. It's not so easy. And it's not. That brings us to our second point. We've seen the, the radical action the Lord commands in His gospel call, both to Abraham and to us. But notice also the great blessings. The great blessings he promises in verses 2 and 3. The Lord here, he says to Abraham in verses 2 and 3, And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and I will make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curses thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now try and put yourself in Abraham's shoes. Wow. Wow. What great blessings the Lord promised you. Not only did he promise in, in verse 1, essentially a land for Abram and guidance to that land, but also children, because that's what you need to become a great nation. And, and what a promise that was, because we read earlier in Genesis 11, that Sarai was barren. And God promises also to bless him, to give him glory and honor. He promises to bless his friends and, and protect him from his enemies. He even promises to make Abraham a worldwide blessing. What an encouragement for Abraham to do what the Lord was calling him 
to do, to live that life of repentance and faith in Him. And what an encouragement for us to do the same congregation. How we need that encouragement. You see, these blessings are not just earthly blessings for Abraham. They are that. They are promises of earthly physical blessings. Promises of physical descendants for Abraham who will essentially for, eventually form a great nation. And, and so on. You can go on with all those promises. But, but these blessings that God promises Abraham are about more than that. These blessings are about God's plan of redemption. His plan to reverse the curse that we came under, that we brought ourselves under because of sin. They're about His plan to save lost and dead sinners. His plan to reconcile sinners, those who are His enemies to Himself. They're about His plan to send a Savior. They're about, in other words, these promises are about God's covenant of grace. The blessings you see that the Lord promises here are really a major step forward toward the fulfillment of his promise back in Genesis 3.15 that he will put enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of Satan, that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. That's, God's, that's where God's going with this. That's his ultimate purpose with these blessings. We know that because the very last promise What's the very last promise? In thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. That promise is ultimately a reference to Jesus Christ, whom Matthew, Matthew's gospel opens by calling the son of Abraham, the seed of Abraham. And it's in him, Paul tells us in Galatians 3, by his death on the cross when he became a curse, that all nations, all families of the earth are blessed through faith in him. And so these great blessings that God promises Abraham, they're ultimately gospel, salvation, blessings. And that's what he promises us in the gospel. He promises salvation. No, he doesn't promise us physical children or a physical land on this earth in the same way that he did for Abraham. But he does promise us all the blessings of salvation. And what greater blessings could there be? Let's just think about a few of them. Think about the promise of forgiveness of sins. The promise of the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. What a great blessing that is. The blessing of justification, of being righteous, declared righteous before God. That's what God promises us in the gospel. He promises us that he will wash away all of our sins by the blood of Christ. That he'll never, ever remember them. Think of that. Think of that. Think of all your sins. How many they are. If we could truly see them all. And if we could collect them all together and pile them one on top of the other, they'd become a huge mountain, even taller than Mount Everest. A mountain of sin. And it's not just your actual sins, specific sins that you've done, like serving idols and lying and cheating and swearing and hating and lusting and slandering and coveting. 
and so on. There's not just those actual sins, but there's also our original sin, our sinful nature, the inclination of our whole being towards sin and away from God, our enmity against God. But all of that, God promises in the gospel to forgive, to wash, to pardon, to forget, to blot out, to put away, to never, ever remember. He promises to give you his righteousness. And even greater than that, to be your righteousness in and through Jesus Christ. And he promises us a new heart. He promises to take away the stony heart, the hard heart, and give a tender heart, a heart of flesh. And he promises us to, sanct- he promises to sanctify us by putting his spirit within us, to dwell in us, and to cause us to walk in his statutes. And he promises to protect us as a father cares for his children. He promises that no weapon formed against us, no spiritual weapon, not even all the fiery darts of Satan shall prosper. He promises that nothing and no one will be able to condemn us. He promises that nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He promises his help in the day of trouble. He promises to preserve and to keep us all the days of our life. He promises one day to finally deal with all his and our enemies. No, he does not promise a physical land on the next earth, but he promises us something far better. A place in glory. That's what Christ has gone to to heaven to do. He's gone to prepare a place for his people that they might be with him forever and then that that they may behold his glory. And he promises to a new heaven and a new earth one day in which righteousness dwells where everything is beautiful where there's no more hospital bombings or whatever. All the, 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 the misery of war and the misery that we've brought ourselves into because of sin. He promises to be a There'll be a new place where there's no more wickedness, no more evil, no more sin, nothing that defiles, no more consequences of sin. We rejoice in the gift of children, the beautiful gifts, but we also recognize they're born into a broken, sin-cursed world, full of suffering and misery. And they're going to experience that too. But in the gospel... Day we have this promise. The one day that can all be gone. There'll be no more suffering, no more pain, no more curse, just blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon blessing in the presence of the triune God. Well, we've hardly scratched the surface. But do you see what great blessings the Lord promises us in the gospel? What an encouragement. What an encouragement that is then to heed God's gospel call, to live a life of repentance and faith, to forsake this world and all it has to offer, to leave the city of destruction behind and to go and embark on a journey to the celestial city, forsaking sin, living by faith in God, in Jesus Christ. You see, beloved, the, 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 the pleasures of sin, the pleasures of sin, they're passing. They're not going to last. 
And the end of those pleasures, the end of sin is death, eternal death. But in the gospel, in Christ, though we may struggle and we may suffer now in this life, the end is eternal life. A life of endless pleasure. A life of endless joy in God. In the presence of God. The one who's been reconciled to us. And we may know. We may even have greater encouragement than Abraham did because you look at Abraham and the promises made to him and those promises and the fulfillment of those promises. That's an encouragement that God will also fulfill his gospel promises. And to help, even to help us even more, of course, the Lord has signed and sealed those promises to us in baptism. That's what baptism is meant for. It's meant to show us that he really means those blessings he promises in the gospel. Also for us, also for your children. He does not desire the death of the wicked, but that they should turn from their wicked way and live. That's what you get to tell your children. As they grow up, yes, you must call them to a life of repentance and faith, as I said earlier, but you also get to encourage them. You get to bring them and, and show them, look, look, my daughter, look at these promises that God has given us. to tell them about all the blessings of salvation that God promises in the gospel and that their baptism shows that he really means them for him, them too. Oh, what an encouragement the blessings God promises in the gospel should be to, to you, to your children, and to all of us. Left to ourselves, we could never do what God calls us to do. He has promised to give us everything we need, even for faith and repentance. Dear children, dear young people, dear older ones also here today, don't ignore, don't neglect, don't, please, don't throw away these blessings. If you have been, don't keep doing that. God has given you another day of grace where you may be here and be hearing of his wonderful promises in Christ Jesus. Don't waste it, but take hold of them by faith. Plead those blessings before God. Plead on his grace in Christ. And he will bless you. He will bless you with all the blessings of his salvation. So you can live a life of repentance and faith in him. And one day, one day really receive the fulfillment of all those promises. In glory. But what does that look like in, in real life? How do you know if those blessings have really become yours? And that brings us very briefly to our third point. We've considered the radical action the Lord commands and the great blessings he promises. But notice lastly the believing response he secures. And we see this especially in verses 4 through 9. It begins with these words. So Abram departed as the Lord has spoken unto him. That's what, that's what Abram's response was to God's call by grace. The Lord secured a believing response to his gospel call to Abraham, and he still does the same today with his gospel call. How does it show? It shows in obedience, doesn't it? Abraham responded in obedience. Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out to a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing where he went. Abram went out from Ur and he came to Haran and after his, his father died, he left Haran and he went to go into the land of Canaan. Abram obeyed God's call. He took his wife Sarai and his nephew Lot and all his possessions and went. 
He became a sojourner, a stranger, and a pilgrim on the, in the earth, even at 75 years old. And so it is with us when we, by grace, respond to God's call in faith. We obey God. We do as he has spoken. Not in our own strength. No, but in the strength of the Spirit. We don't live for this world and what it has to offer. Instead, we deny ourselves. We take up our cross and we follow him. And it doesn't mean we don't struggle. That doesn't mean we don't struggle with sin and unbelief. Abraham struggled with that. You see that already in the second half of Genesis 12. He struggles and he struggles throughout his life. But you see, God doesn't let go of him. And he doesn't let go of us when we struggle, when we fail. He teaches us. He restores our soul. He leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. To walk in the way of faith and obedience. To walk not by sight, but by faith. Are you living in obedience to God's call? A believing response to his call will show itself not only in a life of obedience, but also in a life of worship. A life of worship. That's what we see Abram doing here. And I'm not going to dwell on this now, but he, he builds altars. He builds altars and he calls upon the name of the Lord. He worships the Lord, believing his promise. So again, is that what you're doing? Are you worshiping the Lord personally, privately, in your homes, as a family, with the church, the congregation of God? Is that your desire and your delight? That shows that you have a true faith. And then one day, beloved, we will receive the fulfillment of all God's promises. We'll enjoy eternal life, life with God, unhindered, in a new heaven, in new earth, in, in a place where all is peace and rest, and we will worship God perfectly forever. And why? Why? Because God, in his sovereign grace, came to us and called us and by grace enabled us to respond to his call in repentance and faith. He's so worthy, isn't he? Let us follow him then in faith and obedience, pleading his promises and believing them, believing his promises of salvation in Christ because he is faithful. Amen. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we sang before the sermon that you would show your people, you would speak peace to your people. And we've heard how you do speak peace to your people. Through Christ, the one in whom truth and righteousness have met, truth and mercy. It's all met in Christ Jesus. Help us, O oh Lord, to not only hear this call, but to respond to it, each one of us, in faith and obedience, following you. That we would no more stray in folly's path, but press on in the life of repentance and faith. Lord, we pray for your spirit so to work. Again, we give thanks for this special service. We give thanks for those who could join us also, family and friends. We pray that you bless each one. 
And we give thanks, too, for the gift of a, another baby to Walt and, and Hannah Vandenbroek this past week as well. And we pray that you would bless them and bless both mother and child, too, and the recovery, too. And we pray that you would make all things well for that child as well, spiritually. Lord, we pray that you would do a mighty work in the midst, in our midst, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us...